welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book Lighthouse Faith. You know, people of faith know that God is our strength and refuge and that no matter what happens in life, we are to trust Him. But life is difficult. Um, you know, one of the most emotional and stressful things in life is divorce, um, but probably even more tragic and stressful is the death of a child. And even more painful is when that child is murdered by the man from whom you are seeking a divorce. Michelle Horde endured all of it. Her only strength came from a Bible passage, the words in the book of Job, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Michelle, a TV producer and journalist, wrote about her anguish and road to healing in her book, The Other Side of Yet, Finding Light in the Midst of Darkness, and she joins me now. Michelle, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You, um, you know, I want to go back to the title because at first I didn't get it, but then when I read the Job verse, then I understood it's yet will I trust him. Um, you know, that yet is um, probably the smallest word, but it has the biggest import in what you're dealing with, right? No, absolutely. You know, as a believer uh, who grew up in the church, my grandfather was a Baptist minister. Um, when I lost my daughter and um, literally was leaving the scene of the crime uh, that very first day, that verse in Job popped up in my head and, and I Googled it because I wanted to make sure I, I had it right. And initially, I, I didn't know why God brought it to me. What I was sure of was the person I married could have never done this. And so just like there are good forces in the world, there are evil forces in the world. And so I felt like whatever it was that God had for me to do was so powerful that the devil came at me with everything possible to, to take me out. Mm -hmm. And so I focused on that yet. And while, you know, thank goodness most of us will not have to endure the loss of a child, especially through crime, especially at her father's hand, we all have yet moments in our lives. We all have moments in our lives. In fact, more than one where life looks different. It could be divorce. It could be cancer. It could be losing a job where what I knew to be true is no longer true. And that I believe is when God gives us that lifeline of yet to hold on and know that if we're, if we're faithful, if we listen, if we uh, are brave enough to try to heal and be vulnerable, that there can be something after. You know, one of the things that's um, very apparent about a faith and people losing their faith and pain and suffering really are, is the number one cause of people turning their backs on God. Why didn't you turn your back on God at that point and say, God, I can't trust you through this. I don't know why you're doing it. I just, I just can't believe in a God who would allow this to happen. Did that ever occur to you? I think to say, well, I'm going to answer that two ways, if I may. To say why me suggests why anyone, right? Mm -hmm. And as a journalist, as someone who's been to these scenes, you know, whether it's an earthquake or a school shooting, you know, I don't think anyone says, oh, I get why this happened to them. Right. Um, so, right. so, you know, there is an, uh, from our human eyes, an arbitrariness to, um, to pain and suffering, 
um, that doesn't in our minds equate with, you know, the way Job's friends wrestled with him and said, well, you must have done something for God. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, and that, in fact, is not, you know, our, our, our human math does not work the way the divine works. Um, uh, what, what, so, so no, that was not my thought. I, my second answer to your question is that, you know, faith is an insurance policy and it's also a muscle to build. Mm -hmm. And in the book, I talk about earlier losses. I lost my best friend in the first grade. And most profoundly, I lost my mother suddenly when she was 50 and I was 24 while her mother was dying of cancer. So I lost my mother and my maternal grandmother within 90 days. Oh my goodness. And at 24, which, you know, the older you get, the younger 24 becomes, right? Right. (laughs) Um, And I now have lived longer than my mother. Um, She had a cerebral aneurysm. Mm. I realized as I struggled through those early losses that just rip your heart apart, that God was there for me and that the songs and the verses and, you know, when I kind of shrugged my shoulders and didn't want to go to Sunday school and elementary school, you know, every, every, everything that had been put into me by my parents um, was coming into play. So when I lost my daughter, while it is a stratosphere away from what most of us expect, which is in one way or the other, our parents will precede us. um, I did know that God held me through what at the time at 24 was unthinkable so at 47, what was unthinkable, he would somehow be able to hold me through that, too. Um, I want to go back to the, the, your early life because you mentioned being a TV journalist, and I didn't mention that you were a, a journalist, a producer for America's Most Wanted, right? And then you also were a, a producer for Good Morning America, right? Yes. And yes. so it's America's Most Wanted, I think, that is – that is. The interesting part is that you had to deal constantly with people who had lost loved ones. Um, do you think that it prepared you in any way for your own loss? Or did, did you feel kind of almost immune when you were dealing with these people who had you know, gone through such, such pain and suffering? I never felt immune. I, uh, I certainly started to understand as I grew in my career, and I certainly am sure you have this as well. You do at some point build a little bit of a toughness around your own heart um, just because it can break you, you know, right. to constantly right. be in those types of scenarios. Having said that, I was young. It was my first um, job out of college. Um and would not have been the place I imagined myself be, to be. And, you know, it's funny how God uses situations and opportunities differently than we can understand. But my first big job there was literally handing them, handling the missing children cases. Mm. And because America's Most Wanted was started by John Walsh, who, of course, lost his son and, you know, really became one of the most prominent first big kidnapping stories, at least I remember hearing about in my lifetime, when I showed up as a representative of America's Most Wanted, I wasn't the press. Right. I was, you know, almost like a nonprofit to them. You know, right. I was supposed to have the answers. I was the one they let in the house. I was the one they would ask if they should talk to other outlets. Mm. And I was 22 and 23 and wow. 24. So I, I you know, I, I look back now and remember so clearly uh, my boss at the time saying, gee, kid, it's a good thing you're not married and don't have kids yet because this job would be impossible. Did you get it then? Did you understand like, yeah, it would be impossible? Or did you say, I don't get that? 
logically, I understood it when I became a parent and uh, would hear stories on the news that I had to turn off. Um, I really understood it. Mm, yeah. You know, we talk about um, that your husband, I mentioned in the intro about you were going through a divorce. But, but what I didn't mention is that, you know, your early life with him was bucolic. I mean, you were you, you almost kind of sort of pseudo call him sort of your soulmate. Um, um, did you have any indication that there was that in him, that ability no. in him? No, not at all. I mean, there was no violence in our home. There was no threat of violence. Quite frankly, with the resources of a journalist, if I would have even imagined slightly that anything like this was possible, Gabrielle and I would have disappeared. Yeah. Um, you know, there's just there's just no way. You know, at a certain point, um, and and as I've talked to other women who've experienced divorce, um, it is it is sad and painful how people can change mm -hmm. when they're desperate, can change when they're broken. And so I saw things I had not seen before that, you know, made me move out of the house and say, gee, I don't want Gabrielle to feel the friction I feel, um, the unrest that I feel, um, you know, with with this person who I, you know, thought at one point was my best friend. And, you know, frankly, we all went to church together every Sunday. Wow. Um, so that that that's why for me, it is, it is evil. And we don't like to talk about the scary stuff in the Bible, mm -hmm. right? We like right. to talk about the comforting stuff and, and about love. But, you know, there, there are so many references uh, to the devil, to evil forces, to being tried, um, to wrestling not against flesh and blood and about spiritual warfare. And for me, I resigned and believed early on that this man had become weak enough that he was able to be taken, quite mm, frankly, mm -hmm. um, because the person I knew, even on our worst day, loved his daughter. Um, and, you know, I, one of the things I talk about in the book is I, I can't imagine that closure on this side of Jordan mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. is something that a mother of a murdered child will necessarily feel. My version of closure was accepting that it would never make sense, was accepting that the why would never be answered. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what faith is, right? Faith, faith isn't because it all makes sense. Faith is in spite of. And so that that for me has been what I believe is my earthly um, healing. You know, one of the things that um, I was reading in a devotional a few days ago, it talked about how idolatry is the number one problem of the human soul and that the deep idols, that the ones that are really controlling us, we just don't see. You know, they're just – we just don't see. Um and frequently in marriage, they start to come out because you're kind of in this very heated kind of relationship. And, you know, the wedding's great, but marriage is the hard part. Um, but, it, you know, Alexander Solzhenitsyn talked about the evil that runs in the, in the, right down the heart of every human heart. Um, and, and I combine this together. Did you ever, if, in hindsight, you think about what your husband's real idols were? you know, the foundational control that, that was really in his life, what was most important for him um, to project? I think that um, 
image was most important. You know, I, I written about the fact that, you know, sometimes the pictures and the words don't add up. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so there were things that were, I believed aspirational when we were very young, um, that in real time, you know, there's, there's talking the talk and walking the walk. Mm -hmm. um, and the image of the type of person, the type of career person, the type of wife, the type of family that he wanted, um, he, he was not the person that went in that puzzle and getting a divorce was exposing all of that, mm. whether it was financially not being what he would have wanted to project, um, you know, as a, as a caregiver. And so, you know, again, while I, I know better than to imagine that I'll ever understand why this happened, what is very clear um, and became clear during the divorce proceedings was that this was someone that was desperate because the emperor had no clothes, quite frankly. Mm. Do you, in hindsight, I mean, did he ever explain, did he ever even want to explain to himself why he killed his own daughter? No, I mean, listen, I've had an order of protection since the day this happened and he was arrested and you know, I'm not a journalist, I'm her mother. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I um, my focus in the book, my focus um, in conversations is not about him at all. In fact, I didn't even use his real name in the book because the person I married is gone as mm -hmm. far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my focus really is to pivot into not the dateline crime story of it all, right, right. but that God can be there in spite of. And so I don't imagine I'll ever speak to him again. I, you know, obviously was a witness at the trial. I gave a victim impact statement at the sentencing. Um, and there was no um, sign, frankly, that he was even emotionally present. And uh, he pled not guilty so, you know, despite confessing to police officers at the scene, mm. so so my focus became Gabrielle's legacy that how she died would not trump who she was or what God would do um, to 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 create good out of this horrific tragedy. And I want to talk about the good, but I know that anybody listening to this wants to understand what happened that day because I think it's really important for them to understand, too, that when this happened, when it started to unfold, you know, your first instinct was to go pray to God. You know, you didn't even know what was going on, but you knew something bad had happened. Um, can I mean, you, you signed the divorce papers. Um, you had this acrimonious back and forth over, you know, trying to get a divorce. And he finally agrees to sign the divorce papers. And the, those are signed. You think everything is kind of resolved. What happened after that? I drove home. I called and texted friends and family who'd been praying with me that he would sign the papers. I felt a relief and a lightness I had not felt in perhaps years. I slept well that night. Um, and woke up on the morning of June 6th and did what I did every morning when Gabrielle, uh, because during this process, you know, we had temporary custody arrangements where some nights she would stay with him, some nights she would stay with me. June 5th was a night where she was staying with her father. So when I woke up the next morning, I did what I always did when she was not with me. I sent a video to her dad's phone for her to see, you know, good morning, sweet baby, mommy loves you. I'll see you after school today. 
And the plan was for me to go back to the family home after work and uh, for the two of us to sit down with her together and to talk about next steps. She was certainly aware of the divorce, but at this point we would then talk about, you know, living arrangements and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I went to work that day um, with some anxiousness and anticipation around that, certainly. Um, But with what I thought at the time was, was peace. And at about 3 p.m., my phone rang and I'm, I'm, you know, like any mom, especially with a young child, you're never right. far from your cell phone. So I think I blinked and the phone rang and I saw I had a missed call from our caregiver. It's actually a deacon at our church. And when I called her back, I heard a blood curdling scream and it was clear that she had walked into a crime scene. Um, and mm. was, you know, confused about what she, what exactly she'd walked into, um, but I said, get out and call 911. And my first thought was that he had killed himself. Mm. You know, as, at that moment, I had no reason to suspect that Gabrielle had not gone to school that day. I had no reason to suspect, which in fact had happened, that he had texted the caregiver and told her she didn't need to worry about coming by because Gabrielle was homesick. Wow. And that she only went by. Um, because she wanted to get ahead on some laundry. So she surprised him. Mm. And so I received this call and initially think, oh my gosh, how how will I help Gabrielle through this? How will I help my mother-in-law, who I, I was very close to with this? Mm-hmm. And then called a dear friend who's a fellow mom at the school and asked if she had seen Gabrielle that morning. And she said no. And that's when I found a little, you know, they call them phone booth now in conference centers, little space and shut the door and got on my knees and turned off the lights and said, God, I don't know what I'm going to walk into, but please just give me the strength to handle it. Well, you didn't, at at that point, did you suspect that Gabrielle was not alive, that something had happened to her? You did. Yes. Yes. And it was a long drive home for those that know New York. I was in midtown Manhattan and had to get to the burbs of of Westchester County, New York. So I think it took an hour to an hour and a half. And as people, you know, I knew who were closer were arriving to the scene, people stopped texting and calling me back. And that's Mm -hmm. what I knew because certainly had someone shown up and said, listen, she's on her way to the hospital or go there or whatever, you know, like them. Right. Right. So no news was definitely not good news. Um, and when we pulled up, you know, and I had pulled up to this scene hundreds of times throughout my career, you know, to strangers and friends standing, waiting for someone to show up, to flashing lights, to crime, you know, tape. Wow. And the very first person I saw was my pastor. Oh. And, and then you knew. I, then you knew. I knew. I knew. And at that point, the only surprise, frankly, was that um, he had not killed himself. You know, he was in an ambulance um, and in police custody. Um, But that that was shocking in the moment. But the reality, certainly, you know, you you want to have even that tiny bit of hope and light um, until it's extinguished. Yeah, we're, we're going to take a break right now. Lighthouse Faith Podcast will be back with um, more from Michelle Hoare talking about really recovering and the healing and the empowering that um, that she has gained from actually her, her daughter's death. We'll be right back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap. 
read a book, show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash lighthouse today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash lighthouse. Betterhelp.com slash lighthouse. We're back with Michelle Horde on Lighthouse Faith Podcast talking about really how you really kind of recover. You don't really recover from the murder of, of your child. You just don't recover. Um, Michelle Horde has written the, book, written the book, The Other Side of Yet, Finding Light in the Midst of Darkness. And, you know, Michelle, tell, tell us about like, you really don't recover, but you don't, you don't crumble. How do you find that balance? Well, I think it's, there are two things that happen, you know, when you think about physical recovery, if you were to lose a limb, um, it doesn't grow back, right? right? Right. You have to learn how to compensate around a loss that never returns. And so, you know, I think with any loss of someone you love, but especially a child, that that is pronounced. Mm -hmm. So learning to somehow live with the loss versus the idea of getting over or past the loss. And there was an illustration I saw on social media some time ago. I don't remember who did it, but I think it is, it is really accurate. And there was a, a black ball and it said, this is grief. And people imagine it gets smaller over time. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you just grow around it. And so the illustration showed this jar growing around this ball that stayed the same size. And I think that's a very accurate uh, way to put it. It's not that pain or grief are extinguished. It is that God can give us the fortitude and the faith and the hope um, and the gratitude, frankly, and other things to grow around that loss. Because you never really get over it. And people think you can kind of get over it. You never, you can never return to before that day, right? That's right. And, you know, that's part of where the title of the book comes from. And the book is divided into before, yet, and after. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the fundamental things that we all have to do when we're in crossroads at life is to, you know, control what we can control, but admit what we cannot and there's a song I grew up singing in the Baptist church, I Surrender All. Mm -hmm. And certainly um, moments, inflections in life like this are those I Surrender All moments. And surrendering means surrendering questions, surrendering attachments to outcomes you have no control over. I mean, we could spend two hours alone just talking about all of the court red tape, um, and I'm still in court mm. in litigation over a piece of, of of what happened around the house we lived in. So, you know, th there's so, wow. so wow. many things beyond the obvious that are attached to dealing with crime, being a victim of crime. So, 
you know, I, I think what does happen, um, and today's an interesting day for us to be talking, Gabrielle's best friend was the daughter of uh, one of my best friends. We were we had a pregnant together. Neither mm-hmm. of us knew what we were having. And she had a little girl on July 14th, 2017, and she named her Gabrielle. Oh. And at the time I was nine months pregnant. And I said, oh gosh, Carmen, that's that's our girl name. Like we don't know what we're having. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and being the kind of woman she is, and this is the only kind of woman I can hang with, <laughs> she she said, I think it would be cool to have two Gabrielles. Oh, that's and cool. So two weeks later on August 2nd, my Gabrielle was born and they looked like sisters. They were she, you know, they called each other the other Gabrielle, um, even oh. to their faces, which was adorable. Yeah. Um, but but I bring that up to say the other Gabrielle turns 13 today. Oh. And my daughter's last birthday, she was seven. And what I wasn't able to do on the other Gabrielle's eighth birthday or ninth birthday or 10th birthday, I'm going to do today, which is to physically go over to her house with the gift and give her a big hug. And I texted her because now she's a teenager and she has a cell phone. So I think, you know, again, getting over is not what I would say, but I'm incredibly grateful to God for his grace and mercy that we can continue to grow. And so I've grown to the point now that this little human, who's the only one that reminds me of my baby girl, I can watch her continue to grow and celebrate and love her even as I sit with my own grief. Yeah. You know, the 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 book of Job is, you know, a, a book that is hard to read and yet um, important to read. And most, not most, but a lot of people and, and upon reading it um, get the wrong impression. And that's what you're supposed to get. You're supposed to understand that, you know, Job's friends say the wrong things. They just say the wrong things. They said, oh, if you were a good person, this wouldn't happen to you. Um, And they think that just happened, you know, in in ancient times. But that happens today. Did you get any kind of, you know, very well-meaning friends or saying that, you know, did you do something wrong? Um, Did they, I mean, was there anybody in your life like that? Well, you know, I, one of the things I talk about in the book is grace and grieving. And because I lost my mother and grandmother early, um, it's almost like people think they can catch something, right? When you're 24, you're not thinking about losing a parent unless you have a parent that's very ill. And so you become kind of this freakish, you know, gee, what, what happened? And, you know, if it happened to her, maybe it could happen to me. And I even lost some friends because I think it was too intense. They thought it was, they thought thought the grief was catching, you know, whatever happened to you is going to like, it's like, there's some kind of bad spirit that's around you. So I can't, I can't be around that. Yes. Wow. And And at, you know, half my life later and losing a daughter as someone who was frankly a pillar in our community, involved with our church, you know, as I've said, girl, I was a Girl Scout mom. I was a PTA mom. I was a class mom with her classroom. So, you know, these children in the community had played at my house. You know, they had participated in activities with my family. So I think that I think that what can happen is people have that why and it's out of fear that I could have never seen that in her household. Mm -hmm. So does that make me question my own? You know, I, I would have never seen her making such a bad judgment in their, you know, humanness and fear. Right. 
can I trust her or, or are there things I don't know about? And yes, people ask, you know, I, in fact, even my physician who I'd had for 10 years and didn't go back after my first visit to her after <laughs> the murder asked me how he did it. And, you know, I've, I've learned to set boundaries and protect myself, whether it's in an interview or in a conversation one, because God gave me, um, the ability to be very articulate and mm-hmm. to speak like a journalist. And it is very easy to mistake that uh, as being detached from what actually happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can do an interview and hang up and still crumble if that's where I am right now. Right. Um, and, and people lose that. And I think because it is so unusual and so curious and so it doesn't happen here. Right. Right. That. Right people, you know, whether it's in an effort to try to help say crazy things, um, mm-hmm. you know, even in their efforts as Christians say crazy things yeah. and, and can say very hurtful things. And, you know, I've learned to be graceful. I've learned to, when I need to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not talking about that. Or if you're morbid curiosity, you know, requires more information, you can Google me. Um, uh, But yes, there certainly were people who behaved in ways that were surprising. But, you know, again, one of the wonderful things that God does is he offers you provision. And we may think we know the friends that will be there for us or the family that will be there for us. And sometimes it's not those people. And I think the grace is in understanding that, you know, people can bear different things. People have their own life challenges Mm -hmm. and experiences and being grateful when God brings sometimes almost perfect strangers into your life to walk with you because they have similar experiences, because um, they have a, a different perspective. And so there were certainly moms who were friends because our children were friends who I lost contact with rather quickly. And Mm. there were others who were just someone I would wave to at the grocery store who have become dear friends because of their ability to walk with me. Wow. You have empowered, um, you've been empowered really by creating something that honors Gabrielle's legacy. You've created this charity called Gabrielle's Wings. Um, What is that and why did you create it? Yes. So Gabrielle's Wings, starting with the name, it's, it's you know, a few things. One, I imagine my little angel with her angel wings. Mm. Um, secondly, she loved butterflies. Oh. And when you think about the butterfly effect or the chaos theory in its simplest form, it's that something small can create a huge reaction. And so what Gabrielle's Wings hopes to do is to stand in the gap for children in underserved communities, specifically elementary age children, where we know deficits, whether that's swimming lessons or camp or proper education um, or proper technical equipment can make all of the difference. And so Gabrielle's Wings over the past four years has been blessed to give more than $450,000 in scholarships to camps, Um, building playgrounds that are accessible to children of all abilities, uh, creating resource centers and partnerships with mission organizations in Belize and South Africa, 
and creating uh, resource centers and uh, Gabriel's Corners and children's libraries. Um, so there, you know, the, the work is really my oxygen, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of the things that Gabrielle's Wings tries to do for children are the sort of things that, you know, any mom who is in her right mind, <laughs> you know, wants to do for her children, which is right. to give them more. And so we try to find those pockets of deficit um, to do that. Uh, one other quick example is we have a partnership with the YMCA where we are giving free water safety lessons mm. to black and brown children um, of elementary age and the transportation to get them to the pools because we know that black and brown children, especially in elementary, can drown four to five times as much uh, because of the lack of swim instruction and, and oh. water safety lessons as their white counterparts. Right, right. So again, looking for those gaps that we can stand in. This is fantastic. It's fa- How do people find out more about Gabrielle's Wings? Yes, uh, our website is simply gabriellesWings.org. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, have information there about our programs. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. We just uh, expanded our uh, resource center in uh, township in Cape Town, South Africa this last week. And it was neat to see Instagram lives straight from the location as they built an outdoor space. Um, and we saw them refurbish the indoor space that offers Wi-Fi and computers and laptops to kids that would not have access to those. This is fantastic. Um, what is your fondest memory of Gabrielle? I mean, I know there, there's got to be so many, um, you know, in her short life, but th- what what do you think about most when you think about her? I think about her her just zest for life her her exuberance and her zest for life and her completely contagious laugh <laughs> <laughs> she was a bright and beautiful child and as i later learned from family and friends she also was a child who looked out for children who did not have friends who stopped kids from bullying who sat next to the girl who didn't have anyone to sit with at lunch. So she also, at her early age, was absorbing what she was learning in Sunday school and at home and understood kindness. And, and that that I hold on dearly to. And that you're going to pass on through Gabrielle's wings. That will be her legacy. Amen. Amen. Michelle Hoard, thank you so much. The book is called The Other Side of Yet, Finding Light in the Midst of Darkness. Um, it's been a pleasure talking with you today, and and, and God bless you always. Oh, thank you so much. God bless you. And thank you all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.